Welcome to the Rise Up Good Witch podcast, a radical approach to herbalism, self-care, and the tarot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 46th episode of the Rise Up Good Witch podcast. This is Karina. Today, I'm happy to share a conversation I had on in bulk with Eliza Swan from the Golden Dome School, which is an amazing project that offers so many innovative and creative and non-hierarchical um, offerings of witchcraft from a variety of amazing folks. And you will definitely learn a little bit about Eliza and the Golden Dome School during this interview, but I highly encourage you to go check out their work on the internet, on Instagram, and maybe you can go to some of their events coming up this year. I know I'm going to definitely try to be at the Resurrection of Care this summer, and I'm hoping to be able to volunteer for their next tarot-a-thon for Migrant Justice, like I did last year, which was when I discovered this uh, mystery, this, this so-called mystery school and how it operates. And also much love to Eliza because... I really feel like this conversation was a catalyst for bringing up a lot of topics that I've been thinking about for a while, and I want to thank Eliza for kind of allowing me to go on my own little tangential thoughts about learning tarot and about the popularity of tarot and witchcraft and how many people are um, starting to learn how to do readings now and um, my feelings about that. So, um, you know, I think it's great that so many people want to learn tarot and want to learn how to read, but also we have to remember this is a really long process that goes against so much of what mainstream capitalism has taught us about why we achieve a skill and how we utilize it. So, I think this conversation is really enriching in that way. So thank you again, Eliza, for sharing this space with me. If you enjoy the conversation, I would love if you could go over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. Five stars is awesome. And that just helps this free offering get out to more folks that are interested in the themes that we talk about in this podcast. Um, I love creating this podcast. I'm so excited that we passed the two-year mark, and I'd like to keep it going and connect with more people. So please rate and review the podcast. And if you'd like to support its sustainability, you can pledge to the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash riseupgoodwitch for as low as $2 a month. Um, the higher levels, you have more benefits. I'm going to start doing a flower slash gem slash environmental essence of the month um, starting in Aries season, which is right after the solstice. Um, and I'm really excited about this and some other offerings I have on Patreon. So if you want to connect with me and you are interested in working with me, 
um, for tarot readings or checking out the apothecary and you want discounts and extra content, go over to www.patreon.com slash riseupgoodwitch. And thanks to last month's guest, Levi from Miss T Botanica, I have a couple of amazing plant potions to raffle off to new patrons. So check it out if you think that's something you're interested in and you want to show some love for the creation of this podcast. I'm also about to begin the third Plant Witch Mentorship course. And I might have one spot left for someone who wants to jump on last minute in this coming week. So definitely reach out if that person might be you. Um, I have seven amazing people, but I love keeping it at even numbers. So if you feel like that person might be you and you're interested in a deep dive for the next four months in content creation and facilitation around moon cycles, plant magic, some intensives around folk herbalism and tarot and creating community with some other like-minded folks, um, send me an email, therisenwitch at gmail.com, or just check out the website, www.riseupgoodwitch.com. Um, so if you're interested, uh, check it out. But I also will be sharing a lot of the content um, as well as access to the new moon workshops we're going to be doing monthly with the Plant Witch Mentorship course. Um, so if you are interested in joining those things, sign up for the mailing list. And um, sign up on the Patreon for as low as $2 to be the first one to uh, get access to this information. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at RiseUpKidWitch. I have been feeling the Pisces energy. Right now we're in the middle of this really intense transit with Venus squaring Pluto and Saturn, which are still in a loose conjunction in Capricorn. Um, and this is a time in which things that maybe normally bring us joy actually bring us frustration. Things that normally make us feel good about ourselves actually trigger our scarcity mentalities. And I definitely have been feeling that. And since the new moon in Pisces, I've really felt a strong urge to go internal. Um, I did take a little bit of a break last year after um, a tragedy befell my life. But now in this transition from winter to spring, it feels important for me to pull back and focus on my own process as I deepen my own relationship with flower essences, plant medicines, and astrological transits just for my own self without having to constantly uh, perform or constantly be creating content for other folks, which is something that us working witches can fall into the habit of doing. Um, but... You can still get a lot of my content on Patreon, on my website. And if you're in the Joshua Tree area, always feel free to hit me up about scheduling a in-person appointment. So without further ado, I'm going to just get right into my conversation with Eliza Swan. If you are interested in learning more about her work and more about the Golden Dome School and maybe taking a course or getting involved with all the amazing offerings that they have in Los Angeles and beyond, um, check out the show notes and um, I'll have information there linked for connecting more with Golden Dome School.
Hi, I'm here today with Eliza Swan from the Golden Dome School. Eliza, hello. Welcome to the Rise of Good Witch podcast. Yay, I'm so happy to be here on the Rise of Good Witch podcast on Imbolc. What a special day to be here thinking about things. I know. We're doing this recording today on Imbolc on February 1st. Um, yeah, I'm super excited to have you here. I only recently found out about the work of Golden Dome School, I think, last summer when I volunteered for one of your tarot-a-thons. Mm -hmm. um, but for folks who don't know or haven't heard of what you do, do you want to just um, give a little background and maybe a little a little about yourself? Yeah. Um, where do I start? So I am personally an intuitive educator, artist, and writer. And I founded the Golden Dome in 2014, primarily because I felt like I didn't belong in any of the worlds I inhabited. And I wanted to create a space for artists and mystics to come together and create kind of a non-hierarchical center for new art forms and new mystical technologies that respond to the here and now. Um, every world that I operate in has very rigid hierarchies. You know, academia is as hierarchical as the military. Um, the art world thrives on exclusion. All of the mystery schools I had participated in had these very rigid ranks and degrees and weird words like master laced into the literature. Mm -hmm. And so I set out to create a mystery school that was all about inclusion and presence and cooperation. And it's not just about um, refusing hierarchy and human interactions, but it's about refusing a hierarchy of information. So when we learn at the Golden Dome School, um, intellectual information is just as important as emotional information or physical information or intuitive information. And we also look at hierarchies of beings and existence. So at the school, we try to operate as though humans are no better than rocks or bacteria or gusts of wind. And um, it's a space where at first I set out just to kind of dismantle hierarchies in communal organizational spaces. And then it became this really um, kind of powerful way to also undo internal hierarchies. So um, preferences for how you feel internally or how productive you are internally start to really come into question during Golden Dawn sessions. And um, the idea of the individual artist being lauded as, you know, the best thing and um, us versus them and me versus you and my success versus your success really starts to unravel at the Golden Dome. Um, but what is it? So <laughs> it started out as week-long artist intensives that um, move in order through the major arcana. So we started with the Fool and we went away to an off-the-grid um, like queer sanctuary up in Marin for a week and um, experimented with archetypes around the fool. And that first one was really rocky, really rough, really strange. Um, I hadn't been in a space that attempted to be non-hierarchical before, so it was really confusing. <laughs> and then um, we've done 10 week-long artist sessions so far. We're doing the Wheel of Fortune this year. And basically we take a week out. We're either out in the desert or in upstate New York. Um, just kind of being together and forging new art forms and new mystery techniques and new ways of being and thinking and making 
together and taking a tarot card as their cue for what to focus on. Um, mm. And and since we found it, we now have shorter artist intensive, lots lots of um, free programming throughout the year because unfortunately the artist residencies still cost money, which we're working on changing. Um, and we organize tarot-thons that you mentioned, and there's a correspondence course, and there's a tarot certification course. So there's been a huge um, array of actions that we've managed to produce throughout the years. We do public performances every year. So there's a lot that comes out of the Golden Dome School these days, and a lot of teachers that work with us these days, which is so cool. Mm, amazing. Um, so many follow-up questions I have <laughs> based on like what you just said. <laughs> Um, so one thing is I'm really curious about how, you know, what are the roots of Eliza's practice and like, how did you get to a point in 2014 where you decided to establish this school? Well, I think in order to take on a project like that, you have to be kind of out of your mind, right? So um the background story behind founding the school was I went to graduate school in the UK for fine art. And while I was there, um, the faculty really hated my work. They hated that I wanted to talk about mysticism. They had no interest. They thought it was unintelligent and unintellectual to include emotions into my process. Mm -hmm. um, I went into huge debt. I, I couldn't work in the UK because of my visa. I was really struggling out there. And I got to a place where I felt like I had nothing. I, I was disconnected from my art. I was disconnected from my spiritual practice. Um, I, I didn't know what to do. And I um, extended the limit on my credit card and went to the site of the Oracle at Delphi in Greece and just laid on the ground and I was like what do I do because I can't be an artist I can't be a mystic I can't be a writer I can't be an academic none of these things are compatible uh what do I do you know and I heard the ground answer me and it said just establish your own learning space so that all of these things can be incorporated and I went back to New York where I'm from and I was just working in flower shops and teaching tarot at night and reading tarot for clients. And this vision kept building and building and building of um, establishing a school. And I couldn't figure out how to do it because I don't have land. Um, I didn't particularly have connections. It was a little bit before um, mysticism and witchcraft was in the zeitgeist as much as it is now. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to trust my intuition. I'm going to trust my instincts. I'm going to wait for the sign and I'm going to follow it. And I was out doing a job out on this resort in Colorado. I was serving coffee at this corporate convention. <clears throat> and I went out to the golf course and this raven spirit came to me and was like, go take a road trip from New Mexico to Los Angeles. Just go follow the raven ask your friends where you can hold a session, just hold a session now. Don't wait until you're, you know, propertyed and professional and ready because that's kind of what you're working against, right? Just do it now. And so my friend drove me from New Mexico to LA. Our car was surrounded by ravens the whole time we were driving. And then a friend called and was like, hey, why don't you do your first session at Raven's Crossing? And a gallery called Crow's Work was like, hey, why don't you do your first exhibition as the Golden Dome with us? 
um, in Northern California. So I just, I followed Corvids really all the way out West to establish the school. Um, so it was built on vision and trust and um, desperation. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. I love that origin story. It's mm. funny that my first thought when you were telling that is I was like, I wonder what was happening in your chart at that time. Oh my um, gosh. And yeah, I'm, good question. yeah. Yeah, I was like, what was Pluto doing? Um, <laughs> and the other thing I was thinking, like, I, when you were telling that story is like, you know, I think, um, you know, so much again about what you said, I have follow up things to say about, but there is, um, you know, it's become really trendy and popular to become a witch in mm-hmm. the last few years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like that's the only reason that my business became relatively, you know, successful is because it was, it's become more popular. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because the real path of the witch, in my opinion, I'm curious as to what you think about this. So as this thing is getting really glamorized while it's been, you know, historically being a psychic medium, being a witch, being an empath, a mystic, etc., is a path that is frowned upon by uh-huh. higher society unless you're inside of like institutional Christianity or whatever, and you can like label yourself like a a pastor or whatever they call themselves. Right. But I think like um, as for the path, there is no one that is a quote unquote successful working witch, which you know success. That's a totally it's you know. <laughs> The journey to becoming a successful witch is so grueling and hard and people don't see that part and they don't see the part where, you know, you, you know, because I, in our conversation, (laughs) in our conversation before we started um, recording, you said something like, I love your, uh, I don't know, your real approach to being a mystic or you're like, you know, I can't remember exactly what you said, but, Mm -hmm. but I feel like it's because I didn't choose this path like everything in my life was destroyed so that this path is the one, you know, that I was being called to my whole life, but it got to the point where it was like, there were no other options. And um, I just don't think a lot of people understand that about the path of being a witch. Like, I don't think people understand that it's not really, you know, it's not, it's not as much of a choice as it is a calling and the road is really long and hard and you kind of have to keep going and like not give up, even if you don't have the resources or the money or the community in the beginning. Yeah, a hundred percent. And what I was so happy to share with you when we first got on the call was that I really appreciate your sensitivity and your care as you navigate this work. Um, The strange thing about, I don't even know if I would, call myself a witch necessarily because the strange thing and the beautiful thing about witchcraft or or witchiness or witch work is that there's not really a coherent uh, system of ethics or um, one cosmology right it's it's kind of this path where you navigate all of those giant questions um, yourself you know we're dealing as a culture and as a community with this really weird problem where um, through colonization and, and violence and uh, consumer capitalism and, and just um, the grueling facets of everyday life, a lot of us have had our cosmologies taken away from us, right? We're not raised with um, stories about how the world began and what that means, stories about maintaining life on Earth and what that means, stories about death and what that means. We kind of have little bits and pieces that come from different places. And a lot of the work that we do at the Golden Dawn School is like 
putting together a cosmology that works for us as a community uh, during the time that we're together. Because I find that one of the things that's so complicated as you're embarking on your mystic journey is that um, it's difficult to know what systems and cosmologies work for you. It's difficult to know what teachers work for you. I worked with a really abusive teacher for more than a decade because I didn't even know who else I could find out there. Um, so yeah, it's really grueling and confusing and littered with question marks. And it's a lot of fumbling in the dark and um, it's not easy. And the very first Golden Dome session was, you know, so messy um, that I didn't even want to continue with it. And I, I don't think I would have, except that some close friends of mine were like, no, this is important, you know, stand mm. back up. We're here for you. We're going to help you. This is a collective mission. Um, it's not on your shoulders, you know, let's, let's move forward. But yeah, I mean, in short, yeah, it's really um, grueling, painful and difficult to walk this path. And yet, you know, I couldn't imagine another. Mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, so back to what you're doing right now with mm. the Golden Tome School. Um, what, you know, I see a lot of stuff about you guys doing, so you're based in Los Angeles, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of y'all do um, like public spells, public performances. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. So, well, the structure of the Golden Dome so far, it's been technically a sole proprietorship. So I've been the only consistent member and teachers have come in and out and the rosters have changed and the projects that we work on have changed as a result of the lineups constantly changing, which I really love. But actually this year we're moving into nonprofit status so that we can apply for grants and make it a full-on free school eventually. That's the dream. Um, so it's taking on a more solid shape as an organism. There's a board, there's an ethics board, and these people will stay in their roles for longer periods of time than they have previously. Um, so our offerings, as a result of our lineups changing all the time, our offerings change all the time. But one thing that we do consistently every year is a public performance called The Resurrection of Care, which is a direct response to something called the cremation of care. So there's a group of men, it's a fraternal order, and they go to this place called the Bohemian Grove and their club is called the Bohemian Club. And members of the Bohemian Club are like bankers, entertainment elite, politicians, and they get together at this boys club every summer and do a ceremony called the cremation of care, where they take a body that symbolizes caring and they cremate it ceremonially. And you can look up pictures of it. It's not conjecture um, and old versions of cremation of care mocked were mock lynchings and just absolutely heinous hideous um, horrific behaviors go on at Bohemian Grove the Manhattan Project was launched there which led to the detonation of an atomic bomb um, so all of these you know powerful men cremate caring before they hatch their business plans. And it just speaks so much to how our world is governed at the moment, right? Um, so we do a resurrection of care right after the cremation of care every year. So Golden Dome School performance artists get together and kind of act out and do a big public pageant where we resurrect care. 
And the last couple of years, we've done a public performance where care is represented by a big flower essence that we then feed mm. into a public body of water. So we did the Echo Park Fountain one year. We did the ocean this past year. Um, and different artists volunteer themselves to come forward and speak to issues that they care about. So sometimes um, indigenous artists will come and speak about their concerns and things that they want to put the energy of care into. And it's really, it's organic and the shape changes every year, but it's um, a public pageant in LA. And then we invite folks to also do their own care performances wherever they are. Um, too. So we make a script for the performance public each year. So that's one thing that's consistent. Um, and another thing that you participated in is something called a tarothon, which we do once or twice a year. And it's when, again, it's just open call, whoever wants to be there. We organize um, basically a giant room filled with tarot readers who give readings for $2 a minute, and each year what we give all that money to changes. Um, but it's an opportunity for mystics and readers and psychics to, first of all, come together and just be in the same room, which is so beautiful, and then to um, generate income for different causes that we all care about. The one that you were at was a migrant justice tarothon. So we sent 100% of the proceeds to a couple of different organizations um, working with folks at the border and in the encampments to release them and, and offer bail money and legal counsel. Um, this past year we did one for indigenous-led ecological organizations in Australia where the wildfires are devastating, here in California where the wildfires have been devastating, and also um, we sent some money to some indigenous groups in the Amazon who are trying to combat the fires there. So um, tarothons and resurrections of care happen every year consistently. And then throughout the year, different teachers do different intensives and courses and classes, both online and in person here in LA. Um, and also Edgar Frias, who works with the Golden Dome a lot, has been doing Golden Dome programming in Tulsa. So I really like for people to um, take what they love about the Golden Dome community and just bring it wherever they are. Um, same for tarothons too. I really encourage folks to organize their own wherever they are too. Yeah, I was really inspired by the tarothon that y'all did in Los Angeles last summer. Um, it's really important for us to connect directly our healing work to these really severe issues of social inequality that are mm -hmm. happening in our society. Mm -hmm. um, so I really loved participating in that event and I hope I can make it out for another one again. Um, and the resurrection of care, that sounds amazing. I've heard so much over the years about, um, about uh, what's it called? Like something Grove. Now I'm like- Bohemian Grove. <laughs> Bohemian Grove, yeah. I've heard so out. much over the years about Bohemian Grove and um, like the kind of like weird cult-like things that the people in power do there. So that's really interesting that you have sort of like an answer to that with the yeah. care. I really like that. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, people, it's it's right in front of our faces, but actually our government does ritual magic all the time. Mm -hmm. And the more we kind of look at that as mystics, the, the better we can 
get at counteracting these jinxes that are launched at us constantly, in addition to um, standing up to all of these incredible injustices that just keep happening and keep happening. And, you know, terathons are great too because we come together and we can offer our psychic work in service. And then I learned from my friends who were ACT UP organizers in the 80s and 90s, which was an organization that um, fought on behalf of AIDS victims during the AIDS crisis. And they're still active, but they would do a thing where at the end of ACT UP meetings, they would circle and then all of the activists would share what they needed and share resources with each, with each other. So you can stand in a circle and say, I need a job, I need a place to rent, I need um, a used car. And then folks would raise their hand if they had a resource to offer you. So we also do that at the Tarothons just by way of um, creating a support network for you know mystics out there. Many of us work you know in kind of an isolated way. So Tarothons are um, sort of great on a lot of different levels for the health of this big old witch community that we have going. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember when you had that circle um, and that you referred to it being a practice from the 80s um, during the uh, peak of the AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really amazing because before I was a full-time witch, I was working in harm reduction and HIV prevention. Wow. And, yeah, and it's definitely like a huge passion of mine if I had to go back into the working world. Um, and I was, you know, like not that there's tons of jobs in HIV prevention, but that would be the first place that I would want to work. Because I think it's it's like one, one thing that I think, and I notice this about the younger generations, um, cause I'm like in my late thirties now. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in the nineties, you know, I came of age in the nineties when the HIV scare was really strong. So it was, yeah. you know, we were like, you know, grilled all the time with like HIV prevention and like a lot of fear-based tactics around HIV. And, um, a lot of people don't know. I think that there was like the HIV epidemic really inspired a lot of like intersections in public health and social justice. Yes. With today. Yeah. Because it's such a disease that targets um, folks at like the crossroads of many um, marginalized identities. Yes. Um, So I think, yeah, we have a lot like activists can learn a lot from looking at HIV prevention movements um, inside of like gay gay lesbian liberation movements and like you know that was the 70s 80s now we're like you know it's more like queer liberation that we talk about but yeah um but yeah I really like that you bring that element into it because I think we need to you know show up for people and you don't need to be like extremely sick and from a chronic and terminal illness to be in a situation where you feel like you need to ask for help and be in community and show support with one another. Like we should build these communities of care um, in, on so many, in so many different situations, whether that is to address ableism um, or it's to address chronic illness or racism, transphobia, like any of these things, like we really, the answer is not government. (laughs) I don't know. Like I'm speaking as, as like an anarchist here, but like my feeling is not like government policy is the answer. My feeling is like developing communities of care and systems of mutual aid is the answer to addressing, you know, these ways that systemic inequality actually make us sick. 
Yeah, agreed. I also teach at the Pratt Institute in New York. I teach 18-year-olds. Um, and they're so beautiful. And they're, I'm 38, so I'm 20 years older than them. Mm-hmm. And they're coming to me with a whole different set of experiences as young people. And they're so um, distraught and anxious and overwhelmed by what's happening. And I always show them documentaries about um, the ACT UP movement because there's so much to learn from how they organized and acknowledged difference and um, figured out how to have conversations across difference. And also their actions were these beautiful performances that were incredibly effective. So much happened and changed because of their nonstop work. And so I always want to, to demonstrate that to young people that like, even when you're, you know, absolutely as sad as you can be and all of your friends are dropping like flies um the creative work and the communities that you build they they do create tremendous change even if you can't see it in the moment Mm -hmm. and um yeah i just love what you're saying i think mutual aid is the way to go Mm -hmm. yes absolutely and in the emperor year yeah Right. It's funny. I don't I don't feel super connected to it being an emperor year yet, although mm-hmm. it's it's new, isn't it? <laughs> well um, y'all yeah. are doing uh the wheel of fortune this year. Is that just because that's the, the card that you got to, or is there another reason that you chose Wheel of Fortune? It's the card that we got to, but you know, I mean, your future is walking towards you. <laughs> right? uh-huh. yeah. I think there's the reason that things happen. Um, when they happen and I feel so beautiful about the wheel of fortune coming and spinning the school around because so many great changes are happening within it I think for a long time I was really um, reticent to buy land for the school or um, establish the school or kind of center my role in the school I wanted it to be this thing that had a lot of moving parts and was um, nebulous and community oriented and far-reaching and um, that also meant that it was not rooted and it was underfunded and uh, disorganized a lot of the time. So this year we're becoming an organization proper and the Wheel of Fortune um, coming right at this time where we're filing paperwork to become nonprofit feels like, oh, wow, yes, this is going to bring um, just an upleveling and so many, so many more opportunities and um, kind of a wider wider range of possibility for us as an organization. So I feel like Wheel of Fortune is happening because that's the card that we're up to, but also because that's where we're at as a community. So mm-hmm. it's exciting. Yeah, I love the energy of the Wheel of Fortune. I think, Me too. All, you know, we're always in the Wheel of Fortune. It's, yeah. It's really yeah. important. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, you said you did like a tarot certification course. Yeah. So how um, do you, yeah, sorry, go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I was going to ask because, you know, there's like controversy amongst a lot of people because, you know, when we're talking about the rise of being a witch as something more popular, tarot is like also obviously like really rising in popularity. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, have a lot of mixed feelings about well, I think it's great. I think it's great that tarot is rising in popularity. But I think sometimes we, even something like tarot, which it go, you know, in my opinion, tarot is 
at its root, it's not, has nothing to do with capitalism. It doesn't have to do with, you know, the way that we've structured our life in this modern society as what's <laughs> normal, and what's like successful. Um, but people have a hard time breaking away from that, I think. And, you know, getting back to the root of like the archetypes of what it means to be human and to grow and to like transform through portals um, it really comes through in the tarot. And that's a process. And I guess like why I'm saying all this is my question is about like, do you think, you know, and like, I, I know you, because yeah, you're doing a school for certification, but do you think like, it means anything for someone to be certified to read tarot? Like, does that? Yeah, such a cool question. And the word certified is tongue in cheek. I mean, you definitely get a certificate from the Golden Dome School, but it's not accredited by any learning board, right? It's mm -hmm. um, it's basically, I wanted to offer it because the world of tarot is so big and so, wait, there's like 15 things I want to say at once. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, the tarot itself, if you look at the actual cards, it's not a complete system. There are all these cards that seem to be missing. And um, to me, the order of the tarot cards is wrong. You know, why would you start mm -hmm. with the fool and then have the magician followed by the high priestess? It doesn't make any sense, right? Like the high priestess would come first, followed by the magician, followed by the fool. If you're thinking of it as a creation story, right? The mm -hmm. void precedes form, which then gives rise to the human organism, not that other weird scrambled way around. Um, so I think that the tarot itself is this moving organism and this work in progress. And I, I'm self-taught, I totally respect self-taught people. I think the cool thing about the witch movement is that no one needs a degree to be able to do it. Um, no one needs to spend money to be able to do it. Um, the reason that I put together a tarot certification course is just that so many people were approaching me, asking me how they could do the work that I did, how they could go more deeply into the tarot, how they could get a history of the cards, um, a, a meaning of the cosmology of the cards, and just a clear ethical system for giving readings so I put it together and as part of getting your certificate you also have to participate in a tarot-thon so it's not just about um, learning the tarot from Eliza Swan it's also about um, putting the tarot into community practices as well and meeting the people um, and talking with people about tarot and treating it like this living organism that is shifting and changing, right? Because a lot of the things represented in tarot cards we don't even have anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a way to build community around that system and also for those that want it to give them um, sort of a structure around learning, but it's definitely not necessary. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah, absolutely. I was just curious about that because I know there's, you know, there there's a lot of discussion about, um, you know, how does one, and this goes back to ethics, which you were mentioned in the beginning. It's like, and I, I think about this, like, when does one know that they're prepared to go out into the world and be like a conduit and give readings? And I think, you know, again, like going back to this idea of like in capitalism, we do have this, mindset sometimes that's like okay what am I doing right now and how is it going to generate income for me yeah. um, and I I understand that because that's the society we live in so 
any comment that I have about that is not meant in any way to like shame anyone or their mm-hmm. this because I I love that people want to learn tarot, but I sometimes I notice um, readers who who just start out, it's like becomes like giving a reading is kind of like giving a lesson on what the archetypes mean. And I mm-hmm. think like to truly be a reader, you're you, you know, you have a relationship with the cards that's you're not necessarily going to be like explaining what they mean and you can't explain you know you can't explain them individually you explain like when I do a reading it's like painting a whole picture and that's not you know I could draw the same six cards for two people but the story could be something completely different based on like the message that's coming through yeah whereas I'll you know like I hear some younger readers people that are starting out really um get very um like suit of sort like the air element about it where it's like (laughs) everything and and, you know, I understand that's part of a process and we have to, like, learn how to tap into our intuition, which is a whole process that is taken from us, I believe, in this society. But mm-hmm. really learning how to, like, listen to our own guides and be present is, like, such a long process. It's not something, like, you can go to a school for three months and then you're like, well, I'm an expert on this now, you know. And that's very different from, like, institutions, which you kind of Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And as part of the tarot course that I offer, you give 100 readings and you do a third of them for free, a third of them by donation, and then a third of them for money. And then you participate in a tarotathon just so you can experience um, how you engage with the medium when someone's paying you, how you engage with Mm -hmm. the medium when someone's not, how you engage with the medium when it's for charity. Um, And you can kind of learn all those different dimensions with with a structure and a support network and someone to talk to about what's happening um, as you're giving readings but no it's it's um, you don't need a degree and you don't need a school to connect to spirit and to connect to this planet and to connect to your gifts I um, I have a book coming out about auras and aura reading and I was so excited to write it because um the way that connecting to intuition is talked about is really exclusive and it really prioritizes certain senses. And I thought of this because you were mentioning that sort of air quality of um, really prioritizing kind of intellectual information over others. And when you think about reading auras or giving intuitive readings, a lot of the language around it is visual. And now we're having these great conversations about neurodiversity and ableism. And shouldn't we be opening up conversations about intuition that acknowledge, you know, a huge range of possibility in terms of gathering and understanding and integrating intuitive information? Um, So I think a lot of my work is about trying to empower folks who might feel excluded from being an intuitive or a reader or a mystic or a witch because they don't look a certain way or they don't feel things a certain way or they don't process information a certain way. Um, And part of creating community, I think, is about learning from other folks who sense things differently from you, how that works. and, And it's just so beautiful. You know, all of our antennae are slightly um, slightly different mm-hmm. so I don't know kind of a tangent there but no. um yeah <laughs> yeah I think it is you know and that's why I want to really preface and say again about my comment that 
I don't think gatekeeping is helpful. So I want to make comments like that in, you know, so that someone is like, well, I guess I shouldn't be out there and doing it because I've been reading tarot now for 11 years, but Mm -hmm. um, I never, I was afraid to step into the role that I have stepped into now because I didn't have the confidence. And, um, you know, there, there is kind of like a preoccupation with, you have to be certified and everything. You have to have like a lot of education, you Mm -hmm. know, everything. And that's gatekeeping on in like a capitalist level. And that's also very classist and it's ableist. And yeah, there's just a lot wrong with it. Um, So I never want to say to people that you shouldn't go to school because if someone wants, you know, if they're people, people want certifications, they want to learn and that's valid. And because that's how some people learn, but then like, that's not how everyone learns. Right. And I think it's good to have that like diversity when we're talking about like mystical and mystery school type education. Yeah. I mean, mystery schools, oh, the ones that I was involved in in the late 90s and early 2000s really thrived on this paradigm of striving to become a master. Mm-hmm. And the person who became the master within a certain organization was just kind of the person who'd been there the longest and seemed to have changed the least, you know, mm-hmm. in my view. Um, and I really wanted to create spaces for learning that were not that way. Um, that really valued whatever it was that people brought to the table and incorporated and included it in how we talk about things and how we learn things and how we language things. Um, And when we do ceremony at the Golden Dome School, we just, we stop first and we get our language in order so that we're all in agreement about what we're even saying before we do anything. Um, And I never sort of found that in traditional mystery schools. So um, yeah, there's a million different ways to learn, and they're all beautiful and valuable. And I also think, and I think you offer mentorships too, but I think a lot of folks who are setting out um, really want mentorship or to be able mm-hmm. to learn from somebody who's been doing the work and has fallen on their face, you know. <laughs> and and, and um, I had mentors my early training that were really dismissive of my um, innocence in, in the process. And I, I just, I think that's so detrimental and devastating. So I think, you know, so many things are changing now. Um, and I think that the ways that we learn and share information has changed tremendously. I mean, the internet has given all this information to so many people that wasn't accessible before for one thing. Um, So it's good to have, you know, these learning structures where people can come and feel safe to ask questions and like, they're not going to be shamed or excluded for not having the right answer. There is no right answer for this stuff. Who are we? Why are we here? What are we doing? You know, who's got the right answer for that? Absolutely. (laughs) I think I love your distinction between the difference between like uh, traditional top down hierarchical school approach, like Mm -hmm. institution approach and a mentorship, because, Mm -hmm. yes, I do teach a very small group plant, which I call it I've been calling it an apprenticeship, but it's really not like I'm changing it to a mentorship. Um, Mm -hmm. Just have these really small groups of people. And um, it is like I think of myself more as a space holder, like I'm not an expert. And um, my 
you know, the people I'm working with have their own visions and their own creativity. And it's not my job to like sculpt it, but it's my job to like hold space for their growth and like support them in their growth um, as their equal, but yeah. not like the higher person, you know, and that is something that I mean, it's kind of funny because I feel like I really learned about that from being in graduate school. Yeah. You know, if you go to graduate school, a lot of times you go in there with your own idea, your own framework, and then you kind of go in there and they're like, you're on your own. Like, we're here as your resource, but we're not, you know, we'll teach you things, we'll hold discussions for things, we'll like, you know, hold space for you, but you're not answering to us, really. Like, this right. is your work, and what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. And actually, that's really what inspired me in, you know, the workshop and the way that I teach now and the way that I hold mentorship now is not, it's not a top-down approach. It's really, like, a non-hierarchical mentorship. Um, but then again, like, some people, again, like, really, really thrive in, like, a traditional setting academically and more power to those people as well. Yeah, I learned that the Golden Dome School is not for everybody. Um, and now when folks want to come to longer intensives where we're living together really intimately, um, I asked them just to write to me about what their idea of a non-hierarchical learning space is to make sure it's compatible with the way that I'm doing it. Because mm. it's not for everybody. Not everybody wants it. Uh, and that's fine, too. You know, that's an ideal that I hold, but it's not um, it's not for everybody. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what is your plan? I mean, you've kind of talked about this nonprofit status thing and like uh -huh. things free um, and low cost. But is what other types of plans do you have or things that are coming up with the Golden Dome School this year? Yeah, well, coming up this year, we have... Um, something called the Panpsychic Poet, which is a weekend-long intensive that I'm organizing with my friend Laura Stinger. And we basically learn how to um, tune in with our bodies to all of the beings that live in the desert. So we learn to um, speak to the sand with our bodies, speak to the stars with our bodies. Um, Laura leads these amazing workshops where we move from water-based beings up to two-legged land-based beings and kind of um, just figure out our movement in, in different types of spaces like water and, and gravity and earth. And um, so that's a workshop that's about um, embodiment as an intuitive practice. And then there's a tarot certification session happening in March. Um, Wheel of Fortune is happening in September. Resurrection of Care is happening in the summer. Probably another tarot-thon in the summer, too. So our regular programming is happening. Um, and in the larger sense, in the zooming out sense, um, we're shifting to a nonprofit. It's a legal nonprofit, which I have been terrified to do because it basically means I'm filing the school in as a corporation. Um, but that's happening so that we can get bigger organizational grants. And what I would love to be able to do is um, rent or purchase a piece of land so that the school is working with the same um, energies and land spirits consistently and so that folks have a place to come year round to learn with us or to perform with us or to propose ideas right now um, things happen sporadically because there's not like a central base so I want to have a central base 
Um, ultimately, I'd love to cooperatively organize a piece of land so that we can, you know, sustainably and responsibly grow food and medicine that we ingest as a community and just see what that's all about as a mystical practice. Um, but I'm, I'm taking my time with all of that because I assume that utopias fail, right? It's not like I want to set up the Golden Dome School commune and have it last forever and be, you know, a theosophical society that goes on and on and on. It's not that. I just want to be really cautious and really intentional about um, if we have a base, what that looks like, what that means, and making sure that it's constantly um, sort of refining and reframing its ethics and its mission over and over. You know, we love to sit down and rewrite the mission and rewrite the mission and just think again and again and again about how um, this learning organization can be of service to the people that we serve now, you know, as times change. So I'm being slow, but mm -hmm. um, piece of piece of land, property, you know, all those words, I can barely say them to you, but <laughs> piece <laughs> of land, piece of property, uh, where we can grow the things that we work with and teach um, life-sustaining skills in addition to mystical arts, I think, is, is the ultimate goal. And also um, tuition-free classes. We managed to do um, tuition-free workshops. I give psychic tours of museums that are free. Um, I organize gatherings that are free for folks to attend, but I haven't yet been able to make um, the entire school free. And therefore, it's not really non-hierarchical, is it? Because <laughs> it's for those who can. Um, mm -hmm. So I'd love for that to change too. We'll see, but I'm, I'm taking it slow. Yeah, I and I think, you know, you said you don't necessarily identify as a witch, but I think like that whole like taking things slow and being intentional and recognizing that like utopias fail, um, those things are very, to me, like ethical witchcraft, because, yes. you know, it's not, it's more of the land, it takes you know, a hundred years for a, for a Joshua tree to like mm -hmm. grow its first limb. So it's like, mm -hmm. we move slowly, you know, when we're working with that mystical energy, we move slowly. So I appreciate that. Um, and also like, I appreciate you talking about how, you know, it's, it's, it's hard because it's sort of like when you say it's not hard, it is hierarchical, hierarchical, even if you don't want it to be, I mean, that's real. <coughs> that's the reality of living in capitalism right mm -hmm. it's like i feel weird often being like i'm an anti-capitalist witch and then i'm like whatever i'm like charging for my medicine but the reality of it is that we exist in this system and we exist in it as best we can and that takes constant reflection and constant self-assessment um but being vulnerable and honest and real about the process i think is extremely important yeah, and I also, you know, it took a long time, but I had to recognize that moving slowly is of great benefit if you want to do um, something that's this that, that's this large and that affects this many people. And I learned that um, I myself, in my own mind, cannot control the outcomes of things, nor should I myself um, decide how things go. Uh, the Golden Dome has really taught me that actually... Um, mutuality and decision making and mutuality and ethics building is key to success. And it's not something I was taught how to do. I was, I was very much taught to um, 
do things yourself in isolation and do them perfectly before you present them. And it's just, it's, it's ineffective. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, So where can people, if people are listening and they think they want to take a class with you or they want to connect or like go to any of these offerings that you're working on this year, where, what's the best way for folks to get in touch with you? Yeah. If you go to golden-dome.org, there is a programs tab and it'll show you everything that's coming up. And it's all, it'll also show you everything we've done before. Um, and you can email us. The email address is right there on the site. And, um, we're always fielding um, messages from folks who want to get involved or want to organize or want to organize tarothons where they live or um, uh, facilitate things. So I, I'm really open to um, lots of folks jumping in and joining in. So please feel free to email. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I'll definitely put all of that information in the show notes. Um cool. Well, thank you. I, I, is there anything else that you wanted to say before we wrap up the interview? Is there anything that we didn't cover? Oh, my gosh, no. <laughs> I, I loved what we talked about. And I just yeah. want to say again that I so appreciate your um, sensitivity and thoughtfulness and honesty in your practice. And it really um, it helps us all so much. And in case you didn't know that, I'm just letting you know. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, thank you again, Eliza. It was an honor to speak with you today. Oh my gosh, same. Okay, have a good one. to the rise up good witch podcast if you enjoyed the show please rate and review in itunes and check out www.riseupgoodwitch.com for more information about tarot readings and the apothecary